So I was, I was teasing Billy uh, when I asked him an hour and a half ago to prepare a song for us. Uh, I was going to introduce him as, uh, what's your name? Blake Boyce and the Christianettes. What do y'all think? Is that? <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, it's just, it's fun because we don't know whether to clap for him or not on Sunday mornings, you know? And it's like, it's like here, there's no reason why we can't clap for him. I think it's just awesome. But we are, we are, we are immensely gifted uh, as a church in just the way that, that God has provided for us over the years. Um, and I had an opportunity to visit with the Uganda team a little bit, and, and uh, for those of y'all that are, that are missions-minded, many of you have read Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad, and in that, he, uh, sorry about staring, I didn't know what was going on, Becker, and in that, um, he uses Psalm 67 extensively to, 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 um, defend his premises in that book. And one of the things he says is, is uh, um, in talking about being, let the, the gospel going to the nations in Psalm 67, verse 4, he says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations up, upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then, it, then he ends this short psalm and he says, The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all of the ends of the earth fear Him. And the principle in that psalm is that we are blessed um, as a nation, as a church uniquely, uh, and in our own families. We're blessed in so many ways. We're blessed financially to begin with. We're blessed with a Christian heritage in this nation. And our church has begun to build uh, a legacy that is a blessing. And uh, there's so many things that is part of that legacy. Uh, for me, it's John Dagenhart and, and, and me getting to participate in the setup and teardown ministry at Haven's Landing. I got to know John there. That's part of the legacy. Uh, Chris Steyer being in the sweater vest behind the keyboard. I mean... And if, if I didn't love him so dearly, we would auction off him getting behind the keyboard to give us one more, you know. Uh, but I'm not, not going to do that. All joking aside, I think one of the neatest parts of our legacy uh, is, starts with Ken Ramey. Um, but the second step of that legacy is Chris Steyer. Uh, not only being a part of building the foundation of the church, uh, but then laying it all aside. This isn't funny when I get emotional. Yeah, don't look at Mike Goins. You're trying to get your thoughts back together. Uh, he's emotional too. Bad choice. All right, so I just think it's really neat that, that the stars, part of our legacy as a church, is sending off not someone that, that didn't know what else to do with their Christian life, so they went and, be, and became a missionary. But they were called, and they went, and they counted the cost. And who knows what God has for them in the future? 
But I think it's a, a neat opportunity for Chris and Shelly and their four beautiful girls to come back. <laughs> Who said that? My daughter. Justin did. To come back and encourage us. That's a neat legacy. So for those of y'all that don't know Chris and Shelley, while they're here this summer, I beg you to steal as much of their time as you possibly can. Get to know them, be encouraged by them, and be blessed by them. They will be blessed by you getting to know them. Uh, to know that people are praying for them and, and lifting them up in prayer, it's those relationships that matter. So, all that being said, for my form, that was all for free. My formal introduction now begins. Chris Steyer lives in Tirana, Albania. Uh, I don't know the name of the village out there by Lincoln something or another. And Chris is the, now the, you're not the dean anymore, you're now the executive director? Director of Southeastern Europe. European Theological Seminary, okay, and his gift and his passion is training pastors and discipling pastors and coming alongside pastors. And for those of y'all that have never studied um, Eastern Europe history, Eastern European history, Albania is a a fascinating place. So tonight, Chris is going to bring the word and and encourage us on missions. Next Sunday, he's actually going to give us a ministry update, and and we'll get more of the nuts and bolts of what they're doing. Uh, But y'all welcome, Chris. And and then we'll auction something off in a little while that'll humiliate him. Well, thank you, Tyler. I have a mic, too. And I know how to use it. No, it is a joy for us to come back. This is home. Uh, we come back and we see you guys, and it's like, I don't know how you guys are not aging, but it's pretty uh, amazing. Come back and see you guys, and it's like not a day has gone by. If anything, I look in the mirror and I'm going, what's happening to me? But it is uh, truly a joy. Thank you, Tyler, for your kind words. Boy, you could have almost just done this. So... Uh, Tyler said, uh, bring the word. So I think we have about an hour and a half. (laughs) That's what we do overseas. We just preach and preach and preach. But I do want to pray and just ask the Lord to bless our time uh, as you finish off your chocolate cake. And don't worry, I'm not going to preach on gluttony, so that's not going to be a problem. (laughs) If you had two, it's okay. Go ahead, have a second one. But will you join me in prayer for our time tonight? Heavenly Father, we love you. You are a God. You created us. We rebelled. As sinners, we hated you. And yet you loved us enough to send your Son to die in our place, to be an atonement on our behalf so that we might have life in Christ. And tonight we recognize who you are and what you've done on our behalf. We recognize the sacrifice that Jesus 
did for us. And sometimes we forget, sometimes we don't live it, Lord. But we want to live every day as if Christ was king. We want to live every day for your glory, for the sake of the gospel. And we know that you do have a heart that beats for the nations, that you long to see men and women and children from every tribe and tongue and people and nation to come to faith in Christ, your Son. And so I pray that you would give us this kind of eternal, heaven-focused, gospel-centric, Christ-focused mindset. And as we turn our attention to the Word, your Word, let us leave this place more like your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, have you ever had a dream, something that you wanted to do, something that you wanted to be? Anyone? I had a dream. When I was a young boy, I wanted to be a pirate. And I blame it all on Walt Disney. Uh, I can remember growing up in Los Angeles as a young boy. Anaheim wasn't that far from Los Angeles. My first time on the ride called Pirates of the Caribbean. The kids are like, what? There's a ride? I thought it was a movie. Before the movie, there was the ride. Pirates of the Caribbean. Standing in that line for an hour and a half for seven minutes of just exhilarating fun. The first time I went on this ride, the Pirates of the Caribbean just mesmerized by all of the frolicking pirates as they did basically whatever they wanted. And our little boat would kind of go from one room to the next. And each room depicted a scene from the life of piracy. The whole time singing their song, Yo-ho, yo-ho, it's life for me. Good, that was nice. That was excellent. Wow. Let's get some more coffee into these people. Chocolate cake, coffee, how can you go wrong? In one room, I just remember going and looking up and seeing the pirates sitting on the ship attacking the fortress. And then in the next room, they had taken the fortress, and the pirates were drinking their root beer, and they were waving their little swords and basically doing whatever they wanted to do. Those of you who have been on the ride, you remember. And lest we forget, one of the last rooms coming around the bend, the song in the background, the lights were dimmed, and there sitting on the beach was this pile of glittering jewels and sparkling diamonds of every kind. And as a young boy, I thought, this is the life for me. They even had a really cool dead pirate skeleton on top of it. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. Even as a young boy, I knew simple math. Chris plus treasure equals happiness. But like many boyhood dreams, I had to grow up sometime. My mom would not let me wear my pirate eye patch to elementary school. I don't know why. High school career day came and went. Piracy was not even listed as one of the subjects. 
I couldn't even continue my dream of piracy. And so my dream of becoming a pirate was dead. But it wasn't until years later that I realized I still had a pirate living inside of me. By definition, a pirate is one who robs and hoards what doesn't belong to him so that he can use it for his own personal satisfaction. And even as Christians, sometimes we think and we act just like pirates. In fact, we take the good gifts, the treasures that God gives us, provides for us, and instead of using them for His glory and for His kingdom, we instead choose to use them deliberately, intentionally for us. In fact, maybe all of us can think back to a time in our life when we used our treasures our time, and our talents for us and not for the Lord. Well, tonight, I just want to take a a moment to challenge us to examine what is it that we treasure? What is it that we treasure? We're here tonight to do what? To raise money so that we can send people overseas to do what? To bring the gospel to the nations, to help missionaries and national churches do the work that God's called them to do. That's why we're here. And so I just want to challenge us to consider what is it that we treasure. We might have to open up the uh, auctions again after this. We'll see what happens. (laughs) But our text for tonight is Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Matthew 6, if you have a phone or you want to borrow a phone, you probably don't have your Bible with you. That's okay. I've got mine. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. And of course, you remember the context of this text. Chapter 4 of Matthew, we see Jesus beginning his public ministry. And then in Matthew 5, we have this famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus begins to lay down foundational, essential truth for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You recall he begins to talk about the Beatitudes. What does it mean to be happy in him He talks about disciples. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? He then talks about relationships and giving and prayer. And then here in Matthew 6, 19, Jesus begins to talk about treasure. And my hope for us today is just to challenge all of us to consider what we truly treasure. And so we're just going to look at three ways to help us identify what is truly the treasure of our heart. What is the treasure of our heart? Three ways. There is a wrong way, there is a right way, and there is a true way. And so as we consider the words of Jesus tonight, I want to challenge all of us to compare and contrast what is the way that I am on? What is my path? What do I treasure? What is my life focused on? The wrong way. Follow along or listen as I read Matthew 6, 19. Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Notice Jesus begins by saying, Do not. Do not do this. He's saying, Stop living this way. And it's interesting, Jesus uses the Greek verb there to treasure. So if you were to translate this literally, it would be, Stop treasuring up treasure. 
It's a present tense act of prohibition, something we are to continually and actively not do. It says, for yourselves. See, Jesus is concerned about misplaced values, selfishness. His disciples must not lay up earthly wealth for themselves. He's saying, don't be self-centered. And notice what he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures where? Upon earth. It's clear, upon earth. Of course, this includes not only money, but material possessions also. In fact, wealth in those days consisted of money and commodities like grain and oil, precious metals, expensive clothes. Maybe you remember the story of Achan. Remember, he took something that he wasn't supposed to take. Uh, Talking about expensive sweater vests, what was that mantle? It's just a really nice robe. It was so nice it was worth stealing. He took silver, he took gold in Joshua 7. And then what did he do with it? Took it to the local bank and put it in the security deposit box, right? No, what did he do with it? Buried it underneath his tent. That was the safest place they had. And I'm sure that, you know, the disciples, as they're listening to this, they're realizing, yeah, there's not really a lot of safe places to put valuable things. Of course, why does Jesus say this? Do not treasure up treasures for yourselves upon earth. He goes on, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. In those days, there were no banks, there's no security deposits, there's no cedar-lined chests. The reality is, no matter how fine your clothing is, no matter how well-made your precious possessions are, they are all in some stage of decay, aren't they? In fact, lately, this side of 40, my body is in a stage of decay. You know, I play soccer over in, uh, are you aware there's this sport called soccer? Do you, do you, are you aware of that? Yeah. In Europe, it's what we, no, Tyler, sorry. We play soccer in Albania, that's what we do. You know, use your feet. Something hurts or gets hurt and it doesn't, you know, fix quite as quickly. Some of you are like, oh, Sonny, you just wait. Don't get no better. It only gets worse. Thanks for the encouragement. It's all in a stage of decay, isn't it? It's either going to wear out, it's going to break, it's going to end up in the trash pile. Someone's going to steal it. Our possessions are here today and gone tomorrow. And they really provide only passing pleasure. Because even if you have something good, uh, is it really ever enough? There's always something better that comes along. Uh, In fact, uh, I have an iPhone 4. In fact, someone who's in this room gave it to me as a gift on our furlough last time. Uh, I love my iPhone 4 because the phone I had before that was like a prototype iPhone 3. Uh, You know, I had to wind it up to use it. (laughs) So when I got my iPhone 4, I was thrilled. Until I saw the iPhone 4S. The iPhone 4S, it's faster. It's got a better camera. And there's this woman that lives inside of there, and all you have to do is talk to her. She doesn't argue with you. She just does what you tell her to do. It's incredible. And then they came out with the iPhone 5C. Now they're prettier. And now they have the iPhone 5S. And what's going to happen next year? 
the iPhone 6, and it's going to be better, and then the next year, and then the next year, and when does it end? Does it end? No. It never ends. It's futile to amass wealth, earthly wealth, and suppose that you can keep it safe. And the reality is, even when you have it, it's never enough. And that is the reality of a life that is focused on accumulating earthly things. Turn with me to Luke 12, 15, for those of you that have that electronic device. Luke 12, 15. Luke 12, 15. Jesus says this. He said to them, he's talking to this crowd, beware. Be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. What is Jesus saying there? Your things, your stuff, does not define you. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on to tell a story of a rich man who had big barns, but the big barns weren't enough, so what did he do? He decides to tear them down to build bigger barns. Texans, we can appreciate that. I wasn't born here, but I got here as quick as I could. Huh, Jerry? It's what you taught me to say when I got here. And I believe it. So he builds bigger barns. But what's interesting is what God tells this man in verse 20. But God said to him, You fool. Now, is it good when God calls someone a fool? Is that a good thing? No. You fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? Answer? Someone else. Because you don't take it with you when you go. And then in verse 21, Jesus kind of summarizes the story. He says, So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Did you get that? You're either going to lay up treasure for you or you're going to be rich toward God. It's a wasted life. The life focused on acquiring stuff and money and all that that brings. The passing temporal pleasures of this world. And regardless of how secure you and I think our investments are, our 401k is... FDIC insured or not, there are no guarantees in this world, are there? And to prove that, all I have to do is say one word, Enron. Some of you in this room were affected by that significantly. Enron. Here today one day, gone the next. How many hundreds, thousands of lives were impacted by that? It's temporal. We may be able to hold on to it for a time, enjoy our wealth for a time on this earth, but we know from Scripture we can't take it with us. I came into this world naked, and I'm going out naked. 1 Timothy 6, 7. That's a different translation. (laughs) So Jesus here in Matthew 6, verse 19, he gives us a prohibition against the selfish accumulation of money and goods. Now, some of you are saying, well, wait a minute, Chris, does this mean I have to become a monk, sell all of my stuff, go find a hole, live in the hole, and become a holy monk? (laughs) Some of you will get that driving home tonight. (laughs) 
Is it wrong to have things? Is it wrong to have a nice house? To have two nice cars? See, this verse is not saying it's a sin to provide for your family. Nor is this verse saying that it's wrong to have money. In fact, 1 Timothy 6 makes this pretty clear. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 to 11. Again, we don't have time to go into it, but basically Paul tells Timothy that we are to be content with whatever God has provided for our needs. In fact, it's not money itself that becomes the problem. It's what? It's the love of money. When money becomes the idol of our heart, the things that money brings, the things that money buys. 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul tells Timothy, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. Don't be arrogant. Because even when you made that money, who gave you the gifts to make it? Who provided the means and the resources for you to build your empire? God. Because our God owns the cattle on Thousand Hills. Way to go, Texas. We can appreciate that, can't we? It all comes from God. And someday we're going to be held accountable for it. And so Paul tells Timothy, instruct the rich in this present world not to be conceited. Don't be arrogant. But he goes on. He says, or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Riches are uncertain. Don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. But... On God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Paul says God doesn't just give us good things. He richly, generously supplies us with all things. And not just, okay, God, I guess I'll take it. I guess I'll use it. No, but what? To enjoy. You take the good things God gives you and you enjoy them. And that brings glory to God. But when you begin to fix your hope on them, when those things become more important than your love for Christ and His kingdom purposes, that's when we have a problem. And that's when we begin to store up treasure on earth. And so it means you you take what God provides, you give thanks for it, you enjoy it, and then you turn around and you use it for God's purposes. So here back in Matthew 6, Jesus is saying it's wrong to covet, to collect earthly possessions. He's saying it's sin when we fix our hope and efforts on the uncertainty of riches rather than on God. And I got to tell you, I have struggled with this all my life. 23 years old, just married my beautiful bride, Michelle. I was a cop in Los Angeles. She was a nurse. We had a combined salary that was significant for us at least. Uh, no kids. You remember those days, parents? No kids? Mike, do you remember? Remember? Yeah. Five going on 17. I'm proud of you. Combined salary. We basically had a house. We had two nice cars. We had laptops. Uh, in fact, I convinced myself that I was going to use music for the glory of God, so I talked to my wife twisted her arm, actually, into letting me buy all these keyboards. I had like a rack of keyboards, and it was like just this incredible thing. And I didn't really use it for ministry, but I had it, and I liked to play with it. And I mean, I basically spent money on whatever I wanted. Whatever I wanted, I went out and bought. Now, if you had asked me at that time, assuming I would have responded honestly at that time, Chris, 
How much of that did you use for the church? How much of that did you use for local evangelism? How much of that did you use to support missionary work being done all over the world? You know what my answer would have been? As little as possible. Why? Because the more I spend on God, the less I have to spend on me. Isn't that true? You only have so much. This has been a struggle. The pirate was alive. Even as Christians, we can grow to love money and all that it brings, the possessions, the fame, the friends, the pleasure, vacation, success, all the things the world holds so dear. It's the equivalent of the American dream. You know, Albanians, they cannot wait to get to America because they are convinced that the American dream is the answer to all of their problems. And it is my job to convince them otherwise. Some of you are sitting here saying, well, (laughs) I'm not rich. I'm not even close to rich. This prohibition must not be for me. That's not true, is it? Because you don't have to be wealthy to struggle with materialism. This all-consuming treasure may not be money for you. It could be a bigger home. It could be a better used car than the used car that you have right now. It could be a more prominent ministry position. Blake's never asked me to sing a solo. I sing like a songbird. I think I'm going to leave this church because they don't appreciate my talent. In fact, when we moved to Albania, in fact, some of you, uh, uh, Jorge, we were putting all that stuff in your warehouse. Where are you? Where'd you go? There you are. And we kind of sold half of our stuff and gave some of it away, and the rest of it we put in that container, and you helped us ship it over to Albania. Remember that? I was thinking, okay, I have less stuff now. It's going to be less of a struggle. And so I was thinking, I'm going to one of the poorest countries in Europe. This is going to help, right? It's going to help me get over this materialism. What I didn't realize is when I bought six one-way tickets to Albania, they came with a free companion seat for my materialism. I brought it right along with me. And I got to Albania, and it was tough. And they kept turning the power off, and we didn't have water, and it was challenging, and no central air or heat, and I'm grumbling and complaining, and then wondering when my kids are grumbling and complaining, and then realizing, oh, wait, they're learning that from me. And so I began to consider ways to make my life better, and teams would come over. It was like Tyler and the team, and you know they're like a little mule train coming from Houston over to Albania, bringing Amazon's gifts and goodies to me. <laughs> Why? Because I was no longer content with half. I wanted more. And this wasn't when I was 23. This was when I was like 39. That was a couple years ago. The fight is still there. The pirate's alive. Thankfully, God has revealed and is revealing. That's why I'm so drawn to passages like this. It's not for you, it's for me. Repented, and I'm fighting the fight every day to love Jesus more than my stuff. And I recognize that the main focus of this passage is on money and possessions and things. But I think even from verse 21, we can even make this application a little bit broader. Because for some of us, the treasure of their heart is a position at work. For some, it's family. For some, it's even children. Child-centered home where kids come first. 
What is the treasure of your heart, Christian? What do you love more than anything? In fact, Dr. Kent Hughes, wonderful pastor, wonderful writer, said this, If anything in this world is everything to you, it is an earthly treasure. Let me say that again. If anything in this world is everything to you, it is an earthly treasure. Christian, is there anything in this world that is everything to you? Everything to you? What are you willing to do to get it? Are you sinning to keep it? Are your car payments so outrageously high that you cannot give even if you wanted to? How do you respond when God takes it away from you? Uh, When your four-year-old decides that your used iPhone 4 looks like a bar of soap and drops it down the toilet. When it's lost, you can't find it. Or how about this one? When you're praying for something, you're pretty convinced you need it, and God says no. How do you respond? Are you living the pirate life? The wrong way is the selfish accumulation of money and goods, focusing our ambitions, our interests, our hopes, and ultimate happiness on the things of this life. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't stop there because in verse 20, he gives us the right way. The right way. Let me follow along as I read verse 20 of Matthew 6. The right way. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. What begins verse 20? But... Jesus is about to compare and contrast the wrong way with the right way. He's saying, don't do this, but do this. Don't live this way. Don't let this be the driving ambition of your life, but live this way. Set your affections and your desires on this. He uses the same verb, but treasure up treasures. Present tense, active command. Something we are to continually, actively, intentionally do until Jesus comes back or we go to the grave. For yourselves. Again, this is a conscious, active, daily personal goal to store up treasure for yourself. And of course, where? Here's the contrast. Not on earth, but where? In heaven, in heaven, because the reality is, church, you're either going to be rich toward God or you're going to be a pirate, rich toward yourself and your own pleasure. After all, isn't that what Jesus says? Just look a couple of verses later in Matthew 6, 24. Jesus says, no one, no one, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, God and money. You can't put a foot on both sides of the fence. You're either going to love God with everything, or you're going to love you 
You're either going to devote your life to God and his purposes and his kingdom, or you're going to love you and your purposes are going to become preeminent. And you become a worshiper of self, building you and your kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. And so you use the time, the talents, and the treasures that God gives you for kingdom purposes. You love your neighbor. Why do you love your neighbor? Because you've done the greatest commandment, which is what? To love God when it's convenient, right? When it fits into your schedule. When you can make time for God. Is that what the verse says? No, you love him with all. All your heart, all your mind, all your body, all your strength. And because you love God with passion, it's natural. It's an overflow of that love for God to love others, to serve others, to be other-centered because you're Christ-centered. And so you reach the lost. It's natural for you to want to reach the lost because your love for God is so great. It's natural for you to want to help and strengthen the church because you're thinking like Christ. And so you help your neighbor mow his lawn, or here in Texas, his acreage, because you guys got land in Texas. And you just hope he has one of those writing hovercraft things that, you know, <laughs> you're like, man, I never should have offered. Can I have some more water? You ask your pastor. You say, Pastor Ken, is there some way I can serve in this church? I realize I've been on the fringe ever since I got here. And I have gifts. In fact, I'm not even sure what my gifts are. Can you help me figure out what my gifts are? Is there a way for me to use my gifts in this church to build up this body? Maybe instead of going out to eat three times a week, you as a family, you sit down your family and you say, you know what? We're only going to go out twice a week. And the money that we would use to go to Cracker Barrel, love Cracker Barrel, we're going to take that money and we're going to put it in the offering as a family. Just intentionally leading our family to think, you know what? How are we investing in the kingdom? How are we doing this together? And of course, these are just a few examples. I'm sure you can come up with much better ones. But this is what Jesus is telling us to do. Why does he say this? Why does he tell us to treasure up treasures for ourselves in heaven? Notice he goes on, where moth, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. This is an eternal, indestructible reward that God has for us. Nothing can touch it and it will never be taken away. I wish we had more time to study this, but I'm going to just give you the reference, 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 14. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 14 makes it very clear that if we use everything that God has given us for his glory and his purposes, then we will receive an eternal heavenly reward. But if we don't use God's gifts of time and talents and money and possessions for God, it very specifically says that all of these earthly works will be burned up. You're going to heaven. You just left your treasure on earth. It got burned up. You're saying, well, Chris, how do we know? How do I know if what I do is really for God or it's really for me? How do I know if it's, it's really an investment in heaven or it's an investment on earth? How do I know? Well, ask yourself, why am I doing this? 
And then secondly, who am I doing it for? What does the first question address? Why am I doing this? What does that address? Motive. What's driving me to do this? Do we have anybody here who serves in the nursery? Kevin, you serve in the nursery? Oh, your wife? Wow, that was impressive. That was nice. I served in the nursery once. It was terrifying. So some of you, yeah, nursery, nursery, okay. Yeah, there's only a few. I noticed that. Uh, when someone comes and says, hey, we're short in the nursery, can you come help? Some of you are like, no, no, I did my time. It's like you know, a prison or something. I did my time. I'm not going back to that place. <laughs> I'm not going back there. You're like, I had my kids. And you're like, oh, that's not Christian-like. Okay, I'll serve. What motivates you to do that? Shame? Maybe the fear that someone will see you pondering, do I want to? I don't even really like kids. I don't even know how to do a diaper. Guilt? I guess it's what Jesus would do. Oh, look, there it is. It's on my wrist. What would Jesus do? Great. Now I have to. Motive is everything, isn't it? What motivates you to do what you're doing? Is it for you? You're like, hey, everyone, going to serve in the nursery. You know, the little prison place where they keep all the little people? Going to serve. Pat on the back. Are you doing it for you? Are you doing it for the Lord? That's the second question, isn't it? Who are you doing it for? Are you doing it truly for the Lord or are you doing it for you? Why are you doing it? Who are you doing it for? See, worthless works are focused on us, our own selfish pleasure or desires, because the reality is even if we obey God externally, but we do it with a sinful motive, we will not receive reward and this good work is burnt up. See, the right way of living is a life focused on using what God gives us to love God first and then love others second. It's finding joy and taking God's good gifts. And remember, God gives them to you to enjoy. So don't feel guilty enjoying the good things that God gives you. But just be aware that that can so quickly turn into what? Greed and covetousness and love and lust. So take those good gifts, enjoy them, and use them for His glory. And sometimes that means you keep them and you use them for you. Other times that means you take what God gives you and you see there's a need and you give it and you use it and you serve. But the reality is we all have to take what God gives us and hold them with what? Open hands. God this isn't really mine, and you're just putting it into my care. I'm just a steward of these things. And so will you give me wisdom to know how to take them and use them and then maybe even pass them along? Well, exchanging the eternal for the temporal is no bargain, but it's the lie that Satan is selling, and sadly, many today in the church have bought into it. Why have so many in the church bought into the lie of earthly treasure? Why are our churches filled with shallowness 
and worldliness and materialism? Well, I think the problem is we don't think enough about Christ. And we certainly don't think enough about heaven. We don't practice the principle found in Philippians 1, 21, which says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. How can Paul say that? Because he knows that this means something. That Jesus Christ died on a cross, not so that we could live this comfortable existence and have a life without persecution and without pain and without suffering. That's not why Jesus died, is it? In fact, Paul tells the Philippians, in fact, for you, to you it has been granted not only to believe, but also to what? To suffer. Well, I didn't sign up for that. Really? For me to live is Christ. As long as I'm on this earth, it's not about me. It's about Jesus, and it's about the gospel. And the reality is, missions work all over the world. It's not that it's, we don't have enough money. Really, that's not the issue, is it? The reality is we have too much money. I appreciate Piper bringing that up. The issue is not that we don't have enough money to get the work done. The issue is we have too much money and we have lost sight of why God has given it to us in the first place. And that's the reality that the American church faces. Every time I come back, it just reminds me of this. And I'm not exempt from this. I've already shared with you, this is my struggle too. Even as a missionary, sometimes I have a hard time maintaining this focus, living in a foreign context, in a foreign world. So Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul knows whether it's on this earth or whether they kill me or whether I die, no matter what context I'm in, I get Jesus. In the church, we have to have this mentality. It's about Christ. What is this treasure? Is it a harem in heaven, like some religions teach? Uh, is it a room full of pirate treasure, like some young boys believed? What is it? Well, John 14, verses 2 to 4 make it pretty clear Christ is going to prepare a place for us. But that's not all, is it? Because what does John say? I'm coming back. Church, have we forgot this? We have forgotten that Jesus Christ is coming back. And 1 John makes it very clear that when the church is to think about the second coming of Jesus Christ, what should it do to the body? Purify it. Because we know he's coming back. And he's going to hold us accountable for how we have used and stewarded the good gifts that he has given us. Church, how are you doing? What are you treasuring? Are you living a life focused on this place or are you maintaining this Christ-centered, gospel-saturated perspective that I'm just a stranger passing through? Because my citizenship is not here. Where is it? It's in heaven. The reality is sometimes we forget this is not my home. And we dig roots Build a foundation. 
We build a life of comfort and ease. And it's not that we don't serve. It's not that we don't give. It's just that we've gotten out of balance, maybe. I've gotten out of balance. And my passion is not where it needs to be. Jesus is coming back. Church, he's coming back. Does that excite you? It should. And if it doesn't, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong in my heart. Because that probably means I've gotten a little too comfortable with this. Gotten a little distracted. And so this treasure is joy in Christ in heaven for all of eternity. And can you think of a better thing? To be in a place where there's no pain, no suffering, and where you get to sit face to face with your Savior who gave everything so that you could have eternal life? Don't be fooled. Nothing can compare to the eternal magnificent riches of being in heaven with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And aren't you glad that we have the promise that for every man, woman, and child who repents of his or her sin and puts his or her faith solely in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that the Word of God promises that they will find salvation and grace in Christ. And that is the gospel for which Jesus died so that we might boldly go into the world And, of course, Piper (laughs) says, well, you either go, you send, or you sin. You go, whether that's across the street or around the world. You send actively missionaries, or you go yourself, or you sin. Christian, what are you treasuring? Is the pirate alive in your heart? So far, we've examined the wrong way and the right way. Sometimes it can be difficult for us to tell what do we really treasure. And so Jesus concludes by explaining the true way. This is the way to help us understand what path am I on? Am I following the right way or am I following the wrong way? Do I have a earth-centered mindset or do I have a heavenly, Christ-gospel-centered mindset? And so notice the true way in verse 21. Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And again, Jesus begins with four. He's about to summarize everything that he's just said. Of course, the things that are most highly treasured occupy the heart. What does Jesus mean when he says the heart? He's talking about the center of the personality. That includes the mind, the emotions, and our will. And so not only will our affections focus on our treasure, but our entire self will become entwined with it. Now catch this. This is key. So that whatever happens to my treasure happens to me. Did you get that? Whatever happens to my treasure happens to me. And so, guys, you just got that uh, brand new car gift for your graduated teenager. And she comes in the next day and says, Daddy, tears streaming down her face. The tree, it was there, then all of a sudden it moved into the center of the road and it hit the car. Anyone? (laughs) 
And dad, you come out and look at the car, and you're like, Count to ten, ten, nine, eight. Breathe. What does that tell you? Maybe you're a little too wrapped up in the car. Right? Because you got really upset. You're trying to contain it, of course, because that's what a godly father does, but you're struggling. What happens to your treasure happens to you. And so what happens, men, when you've been promised that promotion or that bonus? In fact, you've already spent it. You've already, you know, kind of picked where you're going on vacation this summer with your family. And you're getting ready for the announcement and you get passed over again. Do you lose all of your contentment, all of your joy? What happens when those kind of things happen? What happens when you don't get asked to lead a small group? Do you get really bitter? Because the reality is sometimes the treasure of our heart is not money or things. Sometimes it's ministry. Sometimes it's good things. Sometimes it's our health. Ladies, sometimes all you want is your husband to give you a kind word. And without even realizing it, that becomes an idol of your heart. And you hold that up and you say, if only I could have that. Or guys, you think, man, if she would just respect me more, that would fix our marriage. And you begin to treasure up that idea of a wife that fits your perfect idea. And when that doesn't happen, you lose joy. What happens to your treasure happens to you. And sometimes it's not just money and things. Sometimes it can be even good things. Sometimes it can be our kids, can't it? In fact, when we were considering going to a Muslim nation, I thought, you know, this could happen. They could come in and take us and put us in prison. Uh, they could kill my kids. Do I really want to do this? That's a tough question to ask. And I'm not talking about stupidity. I'm not talking about going to a context where it's obvious you probably shouldn't be bringing your family I mean, Albania, in many ways, I feel safer there than I do in Los Angeles when I have to go there next month. But the reality is, it could change like that. It's an Islamic nation. We still get security (laughs) alerts from the American embassy there in Toronto all the time. Christian, what do you treasure? Because the reality is that our most cherished treasures will always control the direction of our life and our values. It changes how we think, changes how we spend our money, changes how we spend our time. What do you treasure? Is the pirate alive? Arg! Are you living the pirate life? Because Paul told the Colossians in Colossians 3:1, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Is that you? Are you focused on the treasures of heaven? Are you focused on Christ? 
Are your purposes his purposes? Are your goals his goals? Do the things that you delight in, that you cast your affections on, the things that he loves and delights in? Because the reality is, Christian, you cannot serve two masters. For you will love the one and hate the other. But you can't love both. What do you love? What do you talk about? What are you known as being the one who talks about? Is all you talk about is golf? Are you known as the guy who really likes golf? Are you known as the lady who really likes shoes? Uh, can a woman ever have enough shoes? I say no. Four daughters and a wife? I don't think you can have enough shoes. Can I get an amen, ladies? Amen. Shelly tried to explain it to me. It's like matching things and different skirts and there's different colors. I'm like, look, brown pair of shoes, black pair of shoes, tennis shoes, flip-flops. Done. Amen. Men? <laughs> That's all I need. Oh, yeah. I'm not quite Texan enough, am I? And how could I forget a pair of boots? Thanks for the help, brother. But seriously, what do you talk about? What's on your mind? What do you think about? Because, again, from the mouth speaks what? The heart. And what you think about, guess what? It comes out. What do you spend time doing? What do you prioritize in your day? What do you spend your money on? If we were to bring up your checkbook or your credit card statement, what would it show a history of you buying or investing in? What do you put your hope in? What are you most anxious about? That says something about what you love. What do you dread losing the most? What do you put your future in? Do you spend more time on your investments financially? What do you find most satisfying? If you want to know what you treasure, then you have to evaluate your time and your talents and your treasure. You look at your schedule. You look at your time. You look at what you spend your money on, what you buy, what you invest in. And get this, you examine even what you pray for. Because the reality is there have been seasons in my life where my prayer life has been marked with prayer specifically about me. Is it wrong to pray for yourself, to ask God to have petitions about yourself? No. But if that becomes the characteristic of your prayer life, what does that tell you? You really love you. I mean, God knows that. It's just you don't know that. What do you pray about? What you cherish most will always, always, always control the direction of your life. And you are either going to have joy in Christ or you are going to have joy in self. So tonight we have examined three ways to help us identify where the treasure of our heart is. And sadly, many Christian millionaires are going to be heavenly paupers. And many Christian paupers are going to be heavenly millionaires. I just want to close with a quote by Jim Elliott. 
One of my favorite missionaries martyred reaching the Aka in the Amazon rainforest. And Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool. She is no fool who gives up what he or she cannot keep to gain what he or she cannot lose. What do you treasure? Is the pirate alive? Are you living the pirate's life? Are you robbing God by using what he's given you primarily on your own selfish comforts and ambition and hope? I pray that the words of Jesus tonight will challenge all of us to repent of the pirate life, to recognize that God has saved us and God has put us here on this place so that we might be a light boldly advancing into the world for the sake of Christ and his gospel. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it is good to come to your word and to be challenged by the words of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I confess it is easy to preach this and it is hard to do. And so we know that we have everything pertaining to life and godliness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would give us the grace to appropriate what we need to be citizens of your kingdom, to be men and women who have this kind of Christ-centered, gospel-saturated, heavenly mindset, that we would not get so caught up and wrapped up in the things of this world that we would lose out on being instruments in your hands. And so I pray that you would help us, Lord God, to use everything you've given us, whether it's a thing or a gift or a talent or time or even the numbered days that we have left until either Christ comes back or we go to be with you, that we would use every moment, every day for you and your glory. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the privilege that you've given us to be your hands and feet in this place. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, aren't y'all glad Chris cut out that extra 45 minutes? He didn't get to the convicting stuff? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So we're going to talk about buying more stuff here in a minute. (laughs) And we have a pirate chest. <laughs> God is just amazingly sovereign and providential. Give us about two minutes and we'll wrap this up.